and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I'm your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney, and this is the Leading and Learning edition. I would just like it to be said on the record that Emma passed a test this week, <laughs> so she's all about the learning. <laughs> I did. Uh, my husband and I passed our citizenship test. Hooray! Yay! So Woo! exciting. So, look out, Canada. We're going to be stuck with them. <laughs> Suck it, Canada. Uh, so, with me today, I mean, I love you, Canada. Thanks for having me. Uh, <laughs> education reporter, Janet French. Hello. Hello. Uh, Claire Clancy, who's with me at the ledge right now. Hello. Hello. And back from a vacation, Paula Simons. Back from my fringe debut. Oh, sorry, yes. From your fringe debut. Went well, eh? It did. We sold out every single show. That's we, so exciting. It was very exciting. Aww. And I got to wear a fringe artist's pass, and I got to use the artist's bathroom. It was excellent. Oh, <laughs> see, now that's key. It's like when you're covering um, a festival or something as media, you get access to special bathrooms. Yes. The only reason, really, to do it is to get no to the bathrooms that no one else can use. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and they're always clean. And there's usually toilet paper always in them. Oh, it's just oh, living the and life. Like a, maybe a, even a sink or something. Oh, yeah. Water. Yep. Sometimes. Sometimes there's even like moisturizer for after you wash your hands. I have to say, there was none of that in the fringe artists. <laughs> but, but there was running water and there was and there was paper towel and uh, and there were very short lines. And well, so, yes. Perfect. Thank you, Edmonton Fringe, for making, for making my <laughs> festival. So today we are going to be talking back to school. Janet, you're all over this, yeah. of course, as the education reporter. So we're going to talk about school fees and transportation. And now here's something we're not learning. The rules around the UCP leadership race. <laughs> mwah, mwah. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And also, we're going to address a leader leaving, because uh, I love alliteration. John Heaney, not least chief of staff, is off to BC, but not to work for government, he solemnly swears. Let's start off back to school. Uh, Janet, you're all over this, as I said, because education, that's your, your shtick, your thing, and you've got a son. <laughs> I do. Did they actually I, I, go back to school this week? Tuesday, yeah. So some of the some of the uh, school districts that are outside Edmonton did go back to school this week. Ah. But Edmonton Public, Edmonton Catholic, and I believe the Centre Nord, which is sorry for my accent, uh, the Francophone <laughs> school district, they go they go back to school on September fifth. Ah, right. Like after Labor Day, like they used to That's in Saskatchewan. Right. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that Remember reminds they me of the, the time. Janet and I I'll both tell that used, story later. <laughs> we both used to cover education in Saskatchewan. Long story short, they changed the back-to-school date until after Labor Day, but then they also instituted a minimum number of learning days, and those two didn't match up when Labor Day was really late. So they didn't look even two years ahead they of didn't. the calendar. Yeah, it was And Breadwall had to backpedal and... Yeah, oh, the Good memories, times. the memories. Yeah. So now this is um, the first time kids have gone back to school, I suppose, with the reduced fee structure, right, Janet? Mm-hmm. What does that mean for students? It well, more depend more, on more who you par- ask. More parents, yeah. Uh, well, I think Claire will probably tell you more about this because she went to the re re announcement ooh. on ooh, on Wednesday. Yeah, on Wednesday when they re-announced the same information we had from earlier. <laughs> I love it when government does that. Yeah. yeah well, I'm glad you said that because I, having been off the last couple of, of days, saw that. I thought, wait, did, did I miss something? I thought, I thought, you know, I okay, I'm turning 53 next month, next week, and like, hmm, uh, no, they, they and, a, it's all it's all starting to blur together. And no, I actually asked, I asked the staffers. I said, what new information is being released today? And they kind of were a bit flustered and said, 
Well, actually, no new information, just some new messaging. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> with, with new, with new uh, apple-cheeked children and happy parents yeah. who, who will no longer have to pay certain basic school fees that the NDP have, have sworn to eliminate. Exactly, yes. <laughs> but doesn't this have implications for transportation? Hasn't that caused a kerfuffle? Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is getting a lot more attention in Calgary, right. where, um, but the situation in Calgary is really complicated. So... They're facing budget pressures already, and I believe they were already looking at some transportation changes before Bill 1 came in. So the thing is that most junior high and high school students, at least in Edmonton Public, for since I was in junior high, you, you get a reduced cost bus pass, whereas a lot of the programs in Calgary Public, they were busing them on yellow buses. And so, um, and so that's causing a lot of tension there because now Calgary Public wants to transfer more students to taking transit. But transit, when Janet was 11 and just took one bus, <laughs> you know, across a much less densely populated Edmonton is probably a lot different than an 11-year-old being put on the C train with two transfers across town. So the real, the real reason this is coming up is that Education Minister David Egan says he's rolling out school fees in kind of phases, like as they can sort it out and organize it, they will introduce more relief. But the first phase of relief is causing a substantial inequity. And that is that if, uh, if, I, if my child is in French immersion and my next door neighbor's child is in the English program and we both go, our children both go to the same designated school more than 2.4 kilometers away, the English student pays $0 for transportation and the French immersion student pays for transportation, pays for busing. Um, and so it's it's all a bit complicated. Depends where you live, what's your designated school, how far you are from the school, because there's this limit. Also, there's some school districts that bus their students from closer than 2.4 kilometers, because as you can imagine, like 2.4 kilometers is a pretty long way for a grade one to walk. Yeah. Um, and so they were already providing that busing, so they have to keep charging those parents that are getting bused less than 2.4 kilometers, but those who live further than that um, that threshold don't pay. Um, And so then they're having to adjust their price scheme. And then I think some districts are even taking a loss uh, to have to implement the school fees. It's so interesting. In Australia, like where I grew up in suburban Brisbane, I'd never seen a school bus until I came to North America. It just was not something that was on my radar. The only people who got transport to school, and this is my primary school, um, sorry, elementary, if you will. (laughs) I'll translate for you guys. Um, now that she's now that she's on track to be a Canadian, that's exactly <laughs> right. Um, we had a specialized blind unit at my school with um, all of the blind kids from the region, so they would get taxied into school, but everyone else just had to make their own way there. So I was really intrigued when I came to Canada, and I thought school busing was just something that you saw in like Degrassi Junior High and in films <laughs> and wasn't real until I saw it actually happen in real life. Mm-hmm. Oh, Degrassi gives Canada... <laughs> make, it's what the, the international students think Canadian school is like. But of course, this is, you know, this is the downstream consequence of all the years under the Klein administration where schools didn't get built. And so then kids had to be bused because if you're not going to build schools where the kids are, mm-hmm. uh, then you have to figure out a way that you're going to get the kids to the schools where you want them to be. But at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for the buses. So it's fine for the province to say, oh, no, don't worry, parents, we're getting rid of the fees. But the buses don't run on their own. So somebody's paying for that, whether it's the province or the school board, or the province is not transferring enough money to the school board. I'm sure some school boards feel that. Uh, you know, at the, at the end of the day, uh, in, unless we give them jet packs, like I saw on the Jetsons when I was a kid, uh, <laughs> You know, if if you're going to move the kids from point A to point B, somebody 
is going to underwrite that, whether that's the school board, the province, the regional transit system. Mm. I, I mean, the buses the buses don't run on on fairy dust. For the record, I do support the jetpack proposal put forward by Paula Simons. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd um, vote for that. I'd vote for that. I'm just glad she has a platform. <laughs> I do think one of the big issues here, though, too, is, I mean, one of my questions that I've been left with is what was the rush in implementing the legislation? And um, kind of that's what I wrote about this week was uh, school boards had sent letters to Minister Egan um, about the frustration that uh, administrators face when they had to go through their budgeting in the middle of the summer um, in order to have this in effect for September. And I mean, with all the confusion that's going on, especially in Calgary, kind of why not take more time and roll it out next school year because politically you want to get things done as fast as you can and then hey look at us we're doing stuff woot woot we're nailing this government they did actually take a a hit sort of in the public eye because they had this was an election promise right that they were going to eliminate school fees Mm. or reduce school fees i think the initial promise was by 50 percent and then when they actually started looking at school fees they were like oh god this is really complicated (laughs) um because there was huge disparity between which fees and for what uh different schools charge for so so this year what it is is you cannot charge for basic um supplies that you would need to complete you know your core education so um Parents still have to buy school supplies like pencils and paper and duotangs, but um, anything that you would actually use in the classroom, like photocopying or calendars or whatever, um, those are supplied. And uh, and then there's the the busing for your designated school. Mm. So that which it, it's wandering into the argument about programs of choice, right? So, you know, one of the things that both school districts in Edmonton and many others have done is try and create sort of competition within itself to attract people to the district and make certain schools destination schools. So if you have a school in an older neighborhood that's emptying out, you add a robotics program or whatever. It's like, oh, everybody wants to go to that school now. So it, it helps even out some of the population. But then you've got people traveling kind of crisscross all across the city to get to these different programs. And then what have you done? And that that's part of the problem that's affecting Calgary is there's a, a lot of choice in programs well, there. You know, the bottom line is, I mean, for, for those of you at home who do not have children, uh, as, as Janet and I can attest, September always came upon me as a shock how much you are spending. I mean, you go to Staples and you buy pencils and you buy duotangs and you buy binders and you, you know, the, the teacher asks for this kind of thing and that what's, kind what's of a, thing. What's a duotang? It's like a little file Ooh. folder. Did they not put? The, did they not have that on the citizenship it's test? It's got like a little <laughs> metal tab thing inside. So you, it's like a it's like a mini binder, but it's paper. So then it's got you got your three hole punch, and then you put the little metal spikes through, and you fold them down so they stay in. Oh, those things! What do you call them in Australia? I don't know. Those things. <laughs> the Manila. We'd call them a, a Manila folder with a. Manila folder? Do you call them Manila folders here? I think no, we call we Manila them. folders Manila folders. Yeah, but it's a Manila folder <laughs> with a little with a with a thing inside the of it. Divot. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, 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 sorry, so, so the point is that, it, that come September, if you've got kids, it's a big hit to your household budget. Yeah, and I think a lot of times people, no matter how many kids they have, no matter how many times they've done this, it's always a surprise in September when you're making those outlays. And so I'm sure the idea was reduce those fees. Now, the problem is that I think it all kind of blends together for parents. And I'm not sure how much political bounce the NDP are actually going to get from reducing school fees, because at the end of the day, somebody has to be paying for the photocopying. Somebody, you know, the whole reason that schools introduced school fees is because they weren't getting enough funding they felt in core in 
core transfers from the province. So for the province to turn around and say, oh, you can't charge for this and you can't charge for that. Well, either that money comes out of the school budgets or you're not going to be able to offer those things to students. At the end of the day, you know, there's, there's, there are bottom line expenses. And if there isn't the funding for them, then kids are not going to get those services. Oh, I had a question because one thing I'm very confused about is where the money's coming from in the budget. Oh, I can answer that. Okay. Uh, it's about $50 million, and now I have to go back into the neurons that fired back in May to remember the three. There's three <laughs> different places in the budget it came from. I've written about two of them because the programs on the other end that are getting money removed from them i mean okay the government would not characterize it as removed because they said it was temporary funding that we warned them was ending so one is uh, one of the big ones that has an effect sort of direct frontline effect on students and families is the regional collaborative services delivery model let's just have a moment of wow. let's just have a moment of silence for the jargon involved in that um, and uh, what that means in English is that schools pick up a lot of slack and have a lot of frontline interaction with kids who have other challenges that sort of blend into health issues and social issues. And so the regional collaborative services delivery model, uh, certain schools get uh, particular funding, which they pool then to, I'm not sure if I'm even explaining this well, um, they sort of pool it with some health and social services and they have these area meetings where they offer services like speech language pathology and what have you for and it's it's done through the schools so but even if the kid doesn't get the service at school it's the the triage and the access of the service is done through your local principal and so um, they didn't defund that program but they pulled some money back from it and so that um, I've talked to some families who have children with challenges who have said like this is not okay like how, how is it okay to take money away from students with with disabilities and challenges and use it to give you know, middle class parents a discount a, a, a on their on bus fees yeah. exactly yeah so they're not very happy about that and the other one was um there is a reduction in the amount of money going to some of the I think it's like a partnership for trades and um, oh, okay. Yep. So uh, and and the sort of the province sort of fired back. Well, uh, we have dual credit programs now, so there's other ways for students to access some of these programs. But it, it was uh, it, it was one that particularly hit rural school districts mm. where they felt like they might have used I forget what the pot of money is called. Sorry, um, they used that money to maybe send their kids uh, to to a local college to learn about welding or something like that. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a dual credit program where they got credit in high school and post-secondary at the same time, but it was still exposing kids to careers. So I, I did talk to some people out in um, like the Vermilion area about this at the time because they were they were upset that it was going to affect yeah, it came access. Up at, yeah. It came up at the ledge a few times. Now, there was a, just briefly too, there was a development here in... Um out of Calgary, right? Was that the small? Yeah. So uh, Eva Ferguson, who is my counterpart at the Calgary Herald, she talked. She talked to Mr. Egan. One of the things he's been tasked with is implementing Bill Ten, which made changes to the Human Rights Act and also required schools to allow students to request and form a GSA or like-named uh, organization if they request one. And Gay um, Straight Alliance. Gay, sorry, gay Straight on. Alliance is what GSA says. Emma, Emma is translating everything today. That's right. <laughs> Do a tang. <laughs> um, and so they. Uh, now, there have been a lot of critics who have said that Mr. Egan has not been uh, forceful enough in enforcing this. So I think it was March 2016 by when he required all school boards 
all 61 and all private schools and all charter schools to hand in these plans, like these policies to explain how they were going to follow the law. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most, he said, did a decent job. And then others, he's always been very diplomatic and kind of dancing around the issue and saying, needs more work. We're working together with them. And like, darned if I haven't asked about a gazillion times how many are acceptable to you and how many are not. Mm-hmm. Oh, the work is ongoing. Like, I never could get a number, right? And so now he's finally saying, we think maybe that diplomacy and working together with them, you know, how trying to assist them to improve their policies may not be enough, which is what some of the more vocal LGBTQ community advocates have been saying all along. (laughs) And so what that actually looks like, I don't know. He's talking about possibly amending legislation, which is something that I've asked him about, you know, over the last year is will you strengthen some some of the provisions of the School Act or Human Rights Act to try and cover up some of the loopholes. So another one of the loopholes, which I've reported on before, is that um, part of Bill 10 required all publicly funded schools to create a safe, welcoming, learning, self, safe, welcoming, caring, and inclusive learning environment, uh, and also required them to have a special code of, con- like, amend their code of conduct to really address, like, LGBTQ-specific bullying. And that particular uh, clause does not apply to private schools. Right. And so when Dan Scott investigated a couple of the schools um, that were flouting the law and saying, we will not form a GSA, he came back to Minister Egan in, in his report and said, look, the, the laws don't apply to private and public schools equally. Like, you should really fix this. Now, whether he will... Well, you know, and this is all a legacy of the Prentice government. We will remember that Jim Prentice, this was one of the things that that really was a black mark against his government was the way that they handled this whole issue. So the irony is that the NDP, who are, you know, uh, positioned as a more progressive party on LBGQT issues, have had a really hard time in implementing legislation, which was, you know, grandfathered from from the time of Prentice. It's not grandfather that's not the right word for it but you know which which was their legacy mm. uh it's it's harder than it looks to balance the competing rights of religious private schools and um the lbgqt community each of which have protections under the charter yeah for sure so let's just move on now to the ucp leadership race united conservative party you're giggling <laughs> paula I I did not know until yesterday that they had no rules. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean this is this is a race the that doesn't West. that doesn't technically exist. Yeah, and where I learned yesterday, they either have to pay maybe a seventy five thousand dollar entry fee or maybe a hundred thousand dollar entry fee, uh, which seems a bit steep. It is a little steep. It's absurd. Mean, I mean, only only one of them can win. So that's you know, I mean, what. I guess the party has financial difficulties, but I mean, that, I mean, but that's you know that that's a lot of money for a party to charge you to enter, and you know, especially if you're not Brian Jean or Jason Kenney, if you're Jeff Calloway or Doug Schweitzer, how, you know, how are you going to come up with a hundred thousand dollars that you have to know you're not going to get back? I actually spoke with Doug Schweitzer yesterday about this uh, for a different story I'm doing, but I did ask him about it, and he was like, "This is this is ridiculous. I don't support this at all. Not least is like it's a lot of money, and we'll find it. Of course, we will. 
But how are we making politics more accessible for folks if you're charging them $100,000 to run as leader? He said there could be people out there who aren't, you know, who, who would do a great job. They could be new party members, you know, because they've merged, right, with between Wild Rose and PCs. Maybe there are people there with great ideas who want to come forward and take up a leadership position and then have a chance in hell because it's $100,000. Well, and I, I noticed on Twitter that Jason Kenney is apparently already sending out a fundraising letter. He you has, know, yeah. You know, Jason Kenney's raised a lot of funds. For, yes, for the last little while. But, he you know, raised about a million and change, right? Just for the PC leadership thing. So I don't think he's going to find it that tough to get uh, seventy, well, $100,000 or $75,000. But explain to me, Miss Emma, because uh-huh. I've been away. How is it possible that they haven't got rules for a leadership race yet? And when does the leadership race isn't it wacky? Actually officially begin. So you're right. There are no rules. The PCs had rules in place months before. But Jeff Calloway announced another of his big ideas. I'm putting that in air quotes this week. And we asked him about this and he said, oh, it's fine. It's fine. And we said, really, you think it looks fine that your party is voting for a leader in less than two months and you don't have any rules in place? And he went, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, they're working it out. I'd rather that they come to a come to the right set up as opposed to doing it quickly and they're talking to us all and doing what's best for the party and for the most Albertans. But here's another thing. Why are they talking to the leadership campaigns to try and work out the rules? The leadership campaign shouldn't be setting the goddamn rules. Like they have to they have to <laughs> obey the freaking things. And they're gonna have to pay a whack of cash to obey said rules, so they can't be setting the rules to begin with. The whole thing is just insane. But just how lucky. fun will it be if it's a no rule race oh, for yeah. you to cover? <laughs> Australian rules. <laughs> Australian rules politics. That's I would what we love want. to know what that is. <laughs> but no, it's it is mind boggling that they have been working on this for months. They knew this was coming. And they still don't have any rules. I mean, you do have, there's a leadership committee, so that's made up of members from the Legacy Wild Rose and the Legacy PC parties. And I guess they just haven't come to an agreement yet. What? <laughs> What's Sad. the justification for a $75,000 to $100,000 fee? There is, there is no reason that I've heard. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, I suppose. Because, like, just I don't, because. I mean, you, you can construct a justification in your mind, which is that you don't <laughs> want to waste time with fringe candidates and you want people who are serious and have gravitas and that also your party has no money. So, uh, <laughs> right. I mean, so, I mean there, 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 are, there are reasons, but they're not very good reasons. And it, it's worth keeping in mind, too, we've officially heard nothing. So officially, there's nothing from the party yet. This is just, um, we're hearing chatter. The leadership candidates have heard chatter. Of course, they're involved in the whole goddamn thing. So so. wait a minute. So Jason Kenney is sending out a fundraising letter saying he needs $75,000 for his entry fee. (laughs) But in fact, we don't know for sure. Uh Uh-huh. Because there are no rules. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So nothing Uh, officially is from the party. Dear Edmonton, it is my birthday next week. (laughs) I need $75,000 to throw a monster party. Um, Uh... Maximum so, $4,000 donation. That's, right. that's right. So if you could each send me $4,000, that'd be super. You have to give them a tax receipt, Paula. <laughs> that was another part of Jason Kenny's email that was quite funny. It was, uh, your donation of this much means you will get this much back from our generous tax credits. I'm like, oh, ew. <laughs> We do have very generous tax credits in our budget, seventy-five percent or something like that. Yeah, of a to, to, political if, you, if you donate to donation. a political party, as opposed to if you donate to a charity. Ugh. 
Uh, yes. Because mm. <laughs> political parties are really charities. They're pulling at our heartstrings all the time and really help the less fortunate. Again, I, I'm willing to waive my $4,000 a person cap because I'm setting my own rules. You can send me <laughs> as much money as you want, and I will thank you here on the podcast. <laughs> He's going to read a, a list deal. of donors. <laughs> Oh, dear. I, I need to throw Emma and her husband, Yuri, a wonderful welcome to Canada party. <laughs> That's it. It's not for my birthday. Send the money so that we can welcome Emma and, and the entire Grainy family into Canada. <laughs> yes, do that. I'd love to have a party. I love parties. Um, and I like them when other people pay for them. So, hey. <laughs> That's just like the UCP. <laughs> okay, so let's switch gears to a leader who is leaving John Heaney, the Chief of Staff for Rachel Notley, announced yesterday he's off. He's back to BC. For family reasons. For family as, reasons. As one, as one does. Yes, he swears he's not working for the government over there. So John Heaney was the former Chief of Staff with John Hawken, who is now the BC Premier. Um, <laughs> for the moment. For the time being, <laughs> however long that lasts. Uh, that government, who knows when it's going to just implode. But... John Heaney left there when the NDP was in opposition to come and take a job with the Alberta government, and he headed up the PPA lawsuit. He was, he was the dude who did all of that stuff. PPA stands for Power Purchase, Purchase Arrangements. Arrangements. Yes, thank you. you did I the thought I was going to get to do the acronym call out this time. Oh, sorry. Um, we'll find another one. NDP, <laughs> New Democratic Party. Good job. Thanks. Um, so. He was behind the PPA thing. And then Brian Top left, what, six months ago, something like that? That long already? Wow. Yeah. And he said at the time, Brian Top, who is Rachel Notley's former, former chief of staff, said, you know what? I want to go and hang out with my family. Turns out now he's on the NAFTA negotiations. So when John Heaney says he's leaving to go and hang out with his family, I don't know. There are some questions raised around that. And I suppose, I mean, the real Not question nefarious is... nefarious questions. But, I mean, you know. you know, the real question is that both when he was with the Department of Energy and as Notley's chief of staff, he was trying to work with BC to get them to soften their position on pipelines. So it is a bit like a game of Red Rover. If he's been in close with Rachel Notley's government and now he's going back to BC where the Horgan government is opposed to pipelines. The question is, you know, if he does go to work for the BC NDP, is he taking team secrets from Team Alberta uh, over to the other sides? Chief of Staff is a thankless job, as John Kelly could tell you uh, from the White House. Uh, but you know, so the fact that there's turnover is probably not deeply interesting to most Albertans. I think what what worries me a little bit is having been embedded in the Alberta NDP government, is he going to go back to BC and work against Alberta's interests with insider knowledge? Now, he says he's not. He says he swears, he promises he yeah. does not have a job with the BC government. I did not even know interprovincial espionage could be a thing. <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, it's just like it's just like Steve Bannon leaving the White House to go work for Breitbart, knowing everything that's going on at the White House, right? I mean, when people leave, <laughs> yeah. um, they take with them a lot of institutional knowledge and a lot of strategic insights. So, um, you know, I'm I'm sure that uh, that's not what's going to happen. But I no. think that but that it's it's the question of the optics, what that looks like, and then there's the question of you know. Um, who takes on the role of, of chief of staff. It's interesting, you know, someone said to me, Notley's had an awfully low profile this summer. And it's true, apart from, you know, the uh, the Council of the Federation and showing up at Stampede on her horsey horse. Um, she hasn't been... She hasn't been in the public spotlight a lot. I mean, this week uh, she tweeted out that it's her 20th wedding anniversary. 
Mazel tov. Um, and today she made a pretty Eid video with a pretty Eid scarf on her head. Um, but she has been, I think, allowing the UCP to hang itself on its own rope, you know, and, and some people said to me, well, shouldn't she be out there? I was like, no, you know, let them do their thing. And uh, I think she's keeping her powder dry. I take John Heaney and his word that he's not working for the government, but I guess we'll see where he does end up because as, as I said, Brian Top ended up not just hanging out with his family anymore, but taking part in NAFTA negotiations, which has got to take you away from home every now and again. Like, the good thing on. is we'll know in a few months why he really left. <laughs> That's not the reason. <laughs> That's true. In a few months, I guess we will find out exactly why he left or what he's doing with his time now that he's not in the Premier's office. Or maybe we'll see photos of him with his family in cottage country. Yeah, and that's we'll be why like, he left. Yeah, and we'll be like, dang, we were wrong. You know, it's happened before, that's for sure. Uh, let's move to our regular segment now. Good stuff from the gallery. Janet, what do you have for us this week, mate? So, since I'm the education reporter and I love sharing education stories, um, I wanted to share a story from the... Houston Chronicle about what happens when your city goes underwater and the schools, well, school was supposed to start, so that's a problem, uh, number one, but also then schools sort of ended up stepping up and bus drivers ended up being becoming these, um, you know, chauffeurs to get all these people out of the city, out of harm's way. And the schools, although they're not equipped to be emergency shelters with beds or anything, they started feeding, uh, you know, food that was meant for students next week to, to hungry people who were displaced. So thought it was an interesting just because you don't have children in school the status of your local school is still relevant to you particularly in an emergency nice claire um i'm going to suggest a piece that i read this morning which was truly fantastic it was called who does this to people and it's in espn it's a sports feature about um something that has been in the media so much uh the relation between neurodegenerative disease and um, concussions in football. But what's really fascinating about this piece is they talk to the wives of footballers who are currently in the end stages of neurodegenerative disease and how they're trying to advocate for their loved ones. Um, after Boston University came out with research last week, I think it was, that um, after doing studies on 111 ex-NFL football players, only one of them didn't have signs of neurodegenerative disease um, later in life, which is terrifying. So great story on ESPN this morning. Well, ESPN doesn't often get a shout out on the uh, <laughs> Press Gallery podcast. I like that. Um, I'm going to recommend a, an episode of the Reply All podcast. <gasps> I love that podcast. That's one of my favorite podcasts. So I, I'm going to be honest, I hadn't heard about it until I tweeted out about the absolutely bananas um, McEwen University gets fish for $11.8 million story and one of my Twitter followers tweeted back at me this episode of Reply All and it's about who gets fished and why and it is a great episode and she kind of goes and gets her colleagues fished and I'm putting that in inverted commas and it's really really good it's definitely worth a listen it made me think and when she says bananas I'll translate that for you that's bananas (laughs) (laughs) thank you Paula yes what do you have for us on good stuff (laughs) I have something light and fun which is a piece from the Atlantic um, uh, this is sort of in response to the news that uh, the president of France uh, Macron was spending an seemingly insane amount of money on makeup Uh, I love that (laughs) it's, it's a rundown of all the crazy things that 
leaders around the world have gotten in trouble for. Uh, Benjamin Netanyahu has a serious ice cream problem that costs the Israeli government (laughs) thousands of dollars a year. It sort of goes through who's spending money on having their hair done, who's spending money on on special treats that they must have to eat. It's 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 quite a lot of fun. I'm so excited to read that. Um, Yeah, I'm really going to look forward to reading that. Thank you so much. Janet, Claire, Paula, thank you so much for joining me at the Price Gallery. And Sean Butts, our photographer, thank you for joining me as well and filming some of this and putting it online at edmontonjournal.com where you can find all the past episodes of the Price Gallery. You can also tune into iTunes, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud. In fact, you you can subscribe to all of those and get it broadcast straight to your device. Join us again this time next week. I won't be here, but someone else is going to get roped into um, hosting duties. I don't know who yet. Why is she looking at me? I don't know. (laughs) Just because you were there in my (laughs) eye line, Paula. Join us this time next week on the Press Gallery.